0: Visit us at iloveelevate.com, follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Welcome Elevate, how are y'all doing tonight? Great! Whoa! All right, We we got to stir things up just a little bit, all right? Let's give some glory to the Lord by talking just a little bit for a brief moment about who we're here to elevate. You ready for this? elevate come on wake up elevate oh y'all ought to wake up elevate now i'm excited to dig into his word tonight it is a beautiful message it's gonna pinch a little bit because i know it kicked me in the rear end and this is something i'm like just being honest this is something that i am needing to grow in myself and i think some of the the most important messages are the ones that we need to hear first so um may the lord be moving in this place There was a man who founded a business, and for 20 years, he worked and worked and worked. He struggled to keep this business afloat, to make it move forward. He laid awake at night. He lived with the stress and the pressure of trying to keep this thing going and keep it successful. And after 20 years, he finally came to the point that he said to himself, I'm done, I've had it, I'm ready to get out. And because of a sermon that was preached on that Sunday, a sermon that talked about how we give Everything that we have to the Lord, he on his ride home to his house, he made the decision he was going to give this business completely over to God. And by the time he had reached home, he had, without any any holding on to anything, completely, totally surrendered his business into God's hands. Surrendered the stress. It was completely on the Lord's shoulders from here on in. That night there was a fire and his company caught fire and he drove at the at the emergency phone call he got there quickly and he stood across the street as he's watching 20 years of work go down in flames also there was one of his employees and he ran across the street and said sir don't you realize what's happening there's our company it's going down and his response to this employee was this I know it I know it no problem Ted this morning I gave my company to God if he wants to burn it up that's his business There's no way that we can get around the struggle and the tension of that story. The reality that he's going to have to pick up the pieces. He's going to have to move forward. He can't just live without an income. But there is also a lack of a strain that he would have had, had that not been on the shoulders of God. There's now a new CEO. There is now someone who is actually genuinely in charge of things that he has no control over and that was a release he was able to surrender to the lord i want to take a look at a verse tonight in isaiah 64 and verse 8 and as we know whenever you see lord in all caps capital l o capital r capital d that is the personal name of god which the the english translators replaced the name of yahweh with the word lord out of respect because for I don't know, a hundred years, several hundred years. The Jews believed that the name of Yahweh was too sacred to even be spoken, so they didn't write it. So in tradition, they wrote in Lord. So I want to I insert the name that God gave us to relate to him, to understand him, to know him into this. Isaiah 64, verse 8. Oh, Yahweh, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. What is this verse saying about our God? It opens by calling him Father. There's a familial, like a family intimacy in that. To understand as Father shows that he is a protector, a provider, a guide, someone who disciplines. As a father, he is someone who's relatable, who is nearby, who is who is integral in our lives. The context of this is actually a little bit uncomfortable. This is a prayer of repentance where the people are realizing that they sinned big time and they're coming to God saying, Lord, we we surrender. Forgive us of our sin. Whatever you choose to do, we surrender. You're the potter and we're the clay. What is this verse? We still up there? Isaiah 64. What does this verse say about us as the clay? It communicates to us that we are his masterpiece. We're his workmanship. We were what he took and formed in the way he wanted us to be. But it also communicates to us the uncomfortable truth that we are subject to the will of the potter. We're just clay. If I had Play-Doh up here and I was mushing around inside to make a pot, I decided to make a little person or an airplane or French fries to fake eat in front of you like I do my kids, There is no part where that Plato would say, hey, I don't want to be a French fry. No, the Plato has no say. Lord, forgive me, I'm comparing myself to you. But the idea is that if he is the potter, the clay doesn't get to talk back. He's in charge. This metaphor of the potter and the clay communicates to us the no-GMO, all-organic, gluten-free truth that God is sovereign. He is in charge of the beginning, of the middle, and of the end of human history. He's in charge of the beginning, middle, and end of your life. Remember when we had that long rope and that little one-fifth of an inch that represented your life? He's in charge of that whole thing. That whole, that was that's your life. He's in charge of it. He's in charge of the rope from the beginning to the end. Even greater, he's in charge of eternity that direction and in charge of eternity that direction. He is sovereign. And sovereign ultimately means that he does what he wants. He is God. He created everything. He's the potter. He does what he wants. And what's so beautiful, it's so hard to wrap our minds around, is he is only restrained by his own person, by his own characteristics, by his own nature, the nature that he chose to reveal to us the nature of love, of grace, of justice, of righteousness, of goodness. And yet he is complete creator, infinite, omnipotent, God. This idea, this theme of His being a potter and we're being the clay, is actually ancient. It runs throughout the Bible, but it actually begins at the beginning. Consider this: and God formed man from what? From the dust of the earth, He formed man. And if you looked at that word "formed" in Genesis two seven, it's a I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right because I don't speak Hebrew, but it's Yatzer. and it means to fashion, to frame. Get this. To squeeze into shape is the idea of a potter forming something out of that clay. It gives us the image of God being in complete control over this clay, and he formed it into man. And that has been true of who he is and who we are ever since then. There's a beautiful chunk of verses. I know it's a lot of verses, but bear with me. Listen to the story here. This is Jeremiah, who God had ordained as a prophet in the time when the nation of Israel was at its worst. They were nosediving morally. And God was so fed up and he loved them so much that he was going to bring a punishment and a judgment to get them back on track. And it was going to be a brutal and very harsh judgment. The judgment of Babylon coming in, wiping them out, and God basically does like a, I don't know, a computer turn off and on again with their nation. He's going to put them in slavery for 70 years and they will come back and have a new beginning. And they're at the the brink of this. And God keeps telling them, if you'll only turn back to me, if you'll only turn back to righteousness, if you will come back from your wicked ways, I will hold back this punishment. I will hold back this judgment. And so he gives Jeremiah a picture. Jeremiah 18, verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will let you hear my words. Jeremiah, I'm about to speak to you, but you're not going to hear from me until you're obedient. Go to the potter's house. I'm going to talk to you when you get there. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. Have you all ever seen a potter working at a wheel? It's beautiful. They take the clay, and they put it in a big lump, and they put water on it, and they get it spinning, and they take this lump, and they form it right in the middle of the wheel, and they build it up and up and up, and they stick their hand in it and they pull it up from the edges, and it's, it's amazing to watch. And the vessel... He was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. Have you ever seen a potter take the clay and he's halfway done with the pot and he crushes it back down again? If there are any bubbles inside of that clay, at whenever he fires it in the kiln, it will explode. That bubble will heat up to super hot temperatures and, boom, and the clay breaks down. Pieces of clay go everywhere. You can hear it. I've been outside a kiln when clay exploded before. It sounds like a gunshot goes off. He has to work it perfectly. He has to have even moisture throughout. And so if as he's lifting it, as he's, as he's forming it, he finds a flaw, he will break it down and he'll start over again because he wants better for that clay. He wants greater for that clay than to sustain for a little while and break down. He wants to build something of lasting worth and value. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. It means he crushed it. And he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of God came to me, O house of Israel. And you can recognize that as God's people today. That's me and you. So he's talking to us. Can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent from the disaster that I intended to do with it. And if at any time, the opposite is true. I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Now therefore, say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Yikes. Return. So he gives them an opportunity. Return, everyone, from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. But what do they say? What's their response to Jeremiah? So Jeremiah goes and he tells them this. And he's like, guys, God's telling me that that we're like the clay in a potter's hand. And he's saying that he's going to bring destruction, but if we'll turn from our wickedness, that he'll relent from it. And what do they say? But they say, that is in vain. We will follow our own plans and we will, everyone, act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. Well, that's pretty rude. God is the sovereign creator and that's that. I love how Isaiah says this. Isaiah 45, I am Yahweh and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am Yahweh, and there is no other. I form light, and I create darkness. I make well-being, and I create calamity. I am Yahweh, who does these things. Woe to him who strives with him, who argues with God who formed him. A pot among earthen pots. We're all just clay pots looking at each other. What does the clay say to him who forms it? What are you making? Or your work has no handles. Can you imagine that? What if he's making this clay and the clay goes, oh, excuse me, you didn't make me with handles like I wanted. The clay can't do that. No, not at all. I love it. It gives us this picture. This picture in Isaiah is like, there is no other God. It's like God saying, I am on this plane of existence. And I created everything on that plane down there of existence. And I took a moment and I looked around and noticed I'm completely alone. I'm here. I'm it. And everything that is, I created it. Everything in your world, I'm over it. Totally sovereign. There is nobody else up here but me. So I want to stir up your heart a little bit with something uncomfortable. And this gives me three things that are unsettling to me. Three things that kind of twist at me a little bit, that prick at me. There are three truths here that I think are unsettling. At least three. The first one is that we can't see what God is doing or predict what he's going to do or when he's going to do it. We have no idea what this year has to come. I don't know why people have this thing in their mind that suddenly if they wake up on January 1st, it's like this whole new year. Bing! Everything is peachy. That's like thinking that the terrain of Louisiana stops when you get to the Texas border. You like cross the border, you're like, desert! What? That's not the way it works. We're going to wake up on January 21st, and it's going to look very much the same as December 31st. It's going to look very much the same in that we still have a God who is sovereign, who is in control, who is holding his people in his hand, who is absolutely dependable, who loves you, who loves me, and he has got your future in his hands. That is what we get to wake up to on January 1st. But it's unsettling to me that I have no idea what he's going to do. I have no idea what he's doing now. I can't, like, jump up onto his plan of existence and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, a good idea, God. Yeah, I approve. And he's like, I don't care. (laughs) Okay. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, God is speaking, and he says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I don't know, did you catch that in Isaiah where I said that God created darkness? He creates light and he ordains darkness. And I was like, what? Darkness is just an absence of light. That doesn't even make sense to me. And God's like, yeah, I know. But wait, but God, that, like, I don't understand the law of physics. How do you create darkness? And he's like, exactly. Recognize the difference between you and me. The second thing that really pricks me about God being sovereign and doing what he wants is that I want control. And I'm really skeptical skeptical of anybody else who has control over me. I'm pretty sure that what is in my best interest is what I want more than theirs. I mean, come on, guys. We fought a whole war over this to make sure we didn't have any king over us. Merka! No one's going to rule us, right? We have this understanding in our minds that we are absolutely sovereign unto ourselves. And the idea of, wait a minute, God is the potter and he gets to do what he wants with my life? And guess what? That's not just his people. God does what he wants with everybody's lives. His people are just the ones that accept it. In fact, the reverse is true. We desperately try to control God. How much effort have you put into trying to get God to do what you want him to do? How many promises have you made saying, God, if only you'll do this, I promise I'll do this? How many times have you believe that if you did X, Y, and Z, if you've committed this formula, if you gave enough money, if you prayed this right prayer, you can convince God to do what you want him to do? That's the clay crying out to the potter, I know better than you do. Instead of our prayers being submission, how does Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father who's in heaven. May your name be made holy, your kingdom come, your will be done, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. No, 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 a godly Christian perspective is he is the potter, we are the clay. Our prayer should be submission, not trying to bend his arm. You know, the definition of witchcraft, the definition of witchcraft is the manipulation of spirits and deities. To To do your incantations to try to Go through the formulas to try to convince some deity, and behind every false god there is a demon, to try to convince them to do what you want them to do. That is what witchcraft is. And every time we try to bend God's arm and say, if I go through my magic formula that the televangelist said, if I go through all of these things, I can make God do him what I want, we are dangerously close. Consider the lack of faith. Consider the doubt that is involved in trying to make God do what I want him to do. When he is the God of creation, he is omnipotent, omniscient, Potter, I'm nothing but the dirt. The third thing that really pinches me about this is that he uses things that I consider as bad as part of his plan. That one hurts. That means that he may put things in my life that I think are awful. He may, I may make decisions that totally fall apart that I was trying to do for him, and I feel awful, or maybe somebody in my life dies God, guys, this is 2021. In a crowd this big, one of us is going to lose someone that we care about this year. That is, There's no way around that. We're going to, we're going to endure hardships. And God is going to use those sometimes for discipline. Remember what he says in, in the Jeremiah passage? If we don't turn from our wicked ways, he's going to bring judgment. But you know what? So many times he's just using these things as opportunities to sharpen us, to mold us, to experience pain. It's like going to the gym. You're going to hurt. You're going to have to struggle over and over and over again because God is building his men and women of God that can endure hard times to come, that will be the ones that are still standing when everybody else is wiped away. God has that for you, but you're not going to get there by spiritually sitting on your rear end. He's going to bring us through hard times. That's uncomfortable to me. Remember the guy whose business burned down. God is using these opportunities. Here's something I've been chewing on for a while. In our minds, we believe that a young man or young woman in the home grows up to become self-sufficient. If a parent does a good job, they can train that boy or girl into an adult who is self-sustaining, right? That, that's, that's what we hope. I hope all my kids can go out, they can handle their own jobs, they can, ha- they can handle their own marriages, they can make decisions that are wise. That's what we hope. We want them to be strong, wise, graceful, self-sufficient members of society. And that is totally acceptable and good. But in the Christian realm, it's completely backwards. A strong Christian, a mature Christian is a dependent Christian. This is not something where we hope that you spiritually grow up so that you can now go out on your own apart from God. I am spiritually good unto myself. No. The idea of a mature Christian is that they are trusting themselves less today than they were yesterday. Are you following me? That is the sign of a mature believer is that they take steps of faith that they have no idea how it's going to work out. They just know God told them to that they can endure hardships that they see no way out of, but they endure hardships gracefully because they trust God more today than they did yesterday. I don't know. The numbers don't add up in my checkbook, but I'm going anyway. I have no idea how this relationship's going to work out because I just feel like we can't get along. But I'm not depending on myself anymore. That's what happened with this guy at the beginning of the story. He stepped into a state of maturity that his business was no longer in his control. Christian maturity is backwards from societal maturity. Now, there are three things about God being the potter that give me comfort, and I'd like to share those with you. At least three things. The first one is that in the history of mankind, God has constantly and consistently acted justly. Scripture is full of his testimonies of people looking back going, look how faithful and just our God was. Yes, God calls himself just, but he doesn't just testify to himself. He also has endless lists in the Bible of people going, look how he's been faithful from generation to generation to generation to generation. Check out Psalm 136. The whole Psalm is nothing more than a testimonial of how many times God showed up and proved faithful and just in hard times. Every godly person that I know keeps a, not every godly the most mature godly people that I know keep journals of everything that God has done throughout their years and they look back over the year and over the decades of what God has done before and God has always consistently acted justly and so if I if I have to accept the fact that he's in control and I'm not in control and he's the potter and I'm the clay it is good to know and comforting to know he is a just God and he's going to do what is right the second thing that I find comfort in is that he gives us the power to choose. He is absolutely sovereign. He is absolutely in control of human history. And I don't understand how, but at the same time, he has afforded us free will in it. Remember that Jeremiah passage? He says, if you'll turn from your wicked ways, if you turn back to me, he is always giving them a choice. He has always laid out in front of us an option. Will we trust him or will we not? That if word is so beautiful. That is God's love for us saying, I am in complete control and I'm actually giving you responsibility. I don't know about you, but I'm a little scared of my own responsibility. I'm going to mess this mug up. Thank God that we can trust in him with all of our hearts, that we don't have to lean on our understanding, that if all our ways will acknowledge him, he will direct our paths. Thank God that if we plan our ways, he will direct our steps. Thank God that he makes everything come together for the good of those who love him. I can find comfort in knowing that he's given me the power to choose. Second Chronicles 7.14, beautiful verse, and it begins with that beautiful word, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And it begins with if. You have the choice of who you will trust. Will you trust the potter? Or you trust the clay. Will you trust him, or you would trust yourself? The third thing that I find peace in is that I know that he cares about me. And he cares about you. Jesus said that there's not a sparrow that falls out of the sky that God doesn't know about. And if he cares about the sparrow, how much more does he care about you? There's a I have this beautiful memory. I was 10, 11 years old. Has anybody heard of Promise Keepers? Anybody? Maybe your dads went to Promise Keepers. It is an organization just for men, and it trains men in being men of integrity. And for about 10 years, Promise Keepers was kind of like the biggest movement in the Christian Christendom, in the world. And throughout the country, they would have multiple, multiple conferences, and at every conference, they were having 50, 60, 70, 80,000 men filling up the biggest arenas in the nation. And these men were going home, and they were being better husbands, better ministers, better friends. It was amazing. It was beautiful. And at 10 years old, my dad started taking me to Promise Keepers conferences. The the peak of Promise Keepers was probably this meeting at at, uh, Washington, D.C., and they filled up, I'm, I'm not kidding, men from the Washington Monument all the way to the Capitol. That space was nothing but people. We couldn't even get through we have an aerial shot, when it's just full. There's no gaps. There was 1.2 million men in one space worshiping God together at the Capitol. And I was one of those little neon hats right in the middle. It was one conference that we were at. There were 60,000 men in one. We were in the Astrodome in Houston. filled up the whole place. And the, the founder, his name was Bill McCartney, he had come out. He never actually spoke himself that I remember, but he came out, and he was standing at the foot of the stage, and of course, like, a crowd surrounded, him. Right? and he's just glad handing. He's not talking to anybody. He's just shaking hands. Yes, thank you for coming. Yes, thank you very much. Yes, so glad you're here. And me and my dad were happy. We were, like, buying merchandise or something, but we saw this circle and realized he was in there, and we, went, we pressed into the circle, but I'm, like, 10, 11 years old, and I'm short as a 34-year-old. Can you imagine how short I was at 10? Everybody, like, all I saw was, was people's belts, you know? Like, that's how short I was. And my dad behind me said, I know you, you will never get in there, but just stick your hand between them, and maybe he'll shake your hand. So here I'm like like this, right? And my dad's behind me, I'm just sticking my hand and kind of doing this number. And I felt a hand grab me hard and pulled me through the guys like this, right? From my dad's perspective, his son just got sucked into the crowd, right? And so he's like going on New York, like shoving people out of the way, looking for me, swimming through guys. And I kid you not, pulled me all the way through, and there I am, in front of this guy, Bill McCartney, who founded Promise Keepers. And he's still shaking my hand. I'm, I'm, I, I don't even, <laughs> you know. And my dad comes, whoa, where's my son, you know. And he stood there in front of that whole auditorium in this break between speakers. And he had this long conversation with just me, and my dad. I don't even remember him letting go of my hand. And I don't remember a thing that he said. But I will never forget the way he made me feel. I'm in an auditorium in an arena of 60,000 people that are more important, certainly taller than I was. And he took all of this free time between these speakers to talk to me. You have to understand, when I brought out that rope and he had one-fifth of an inch that represented your life and the history of mankind, that was it. And I'm going through and I'm like, wow, look how insignificant your life is. You have to realize that's true. Consider, you're just a speck of dust in this parish from an aerial view. How much more on the planet zoom out into the galaxies, It's like you're terribly insignificant. The only thing that makes you significant is that the God of creation shined his spotlight on you and gave you his full attention. That's it. How incredible and how beautiful that God would pick every one of you out of the crowd and pull you right through to have an eye-to-eye connection with him. That he would say, I choose you to be important. I choose you to be special. And you know what? I'm going way more than a handshake. I'm giving everything so that you can be with me for the rest of your life and for all of eternity. What kind of God do we serve? Psalm 8, 3 through 4. When I consider your heavens the work of your fingertips, the moon, the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? Who is man that you would visit him? For God so loved the world that he gave his son and whoever believes in him, whoever, just as significant as the word if, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Listen to this beautiful psalm from David. Psalm 121, 1 through 8. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? You know what? His help doesn't come from the hills. My help comes from Yahweh, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you, consider the word keep. What does that mean? It means he takes care of you. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel, he who keeps his people will neither slumber nor sleep. Yahweh is your keeper. Yahweh is your shade on your right hand. What does that mean? That means he's so close. He's casting his own shadow on you. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Yahweh will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. He will take care of you. Yahweh will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth. Forevermore, you can find peace that your God cares about you. Wow. Who is our God that would zoom in through the universe to love us? Oh, Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Recap. God is the potter and we're just the clay. He's in charge of the beginning, middle, and end of history. Ultimately, he just does what he wants. Christian maturity is dependency, complete dependency. The most mature people trust God more and themselves the least. And we can take peace in knowing that he is just, that he gives us the power to choose, and that he cares for us. So I got to ask you, what in your life right now is uncertain. Coming up in 2021, what is it that you're looking forward in? It's hazy, it's gray, maybe it just seems all out impossible. What is it in your life? What is it in your family or your work or your future or or school? What's looking forward, what is it that's completely uncertain to you? Now let's look inward. What in you, about you, you wish would change? In your character, is there a sin that you're struggling with or is there just an aspect that you just wish you could do better at? Maybe you just forget your friends when they're not around. What is it about you that you're like, Lord, I I wish you, you would just mold this aspect of me. Get this part out. What is that? You can take peace in knowing in your deepest knower And he is in control. He is sovereign in your life. He is molding you. He is molding this year. He is molding this youth ministry. He is molding your family. He is molding your church. He is at work. And just like when he created you, he is forming it into shape. So here's your challenge for tonight, this week. If you have a phone, most of you do, Set a reminder in your calendar for December 29th, 2021. That's one year from now. And I'd like you to answer in the notes, answer those two questions. What is it that's uncertain in your future tonight? And what is it in you that you would like to see God work on and mold? Put it in your phone and forget about it. Let your phone give you a reminder 365 days from now. And when you get there, you're going to be able to look at it and say, ask yourself, was God faithful? Was he just? I did not say, did God give you what you want? But I will promise you that if you will look at those answers a year from now, you'll be able to look back and see how God was at work, that his fingerprints were in your life along the way in a way that you can't see tonight. So I challenge you, answer those two questions. If you don't have a phone, great. Write yourself a letter, stick it in the corner of your mirror, and ignore it for for the rest of the year. But find a way to answer those two questions Take a look at it a year from now. I love you, Elevate. I want you guys to come to a place of peace because your life no longer belongs to you. That seems like an uncomfortable place, but you haven't experienced real freedom until you have made yourself a servant a son and daughter of the God who is actually in control. Remember, all of creation is underneath his will. He is doing exactly what he wants in human history, whether they worship him or not. The only difference between them and us is we have the peace of knowing that we're surrendered. We just go, okay, God, you got it. I trust you. Everybody else is just fighting. There are missionaries in this room Yes, some of the kind of missionaries that cross seas and give up their lives and they learn new languages, absolutely. Wipe yourself with a banana leaf. Got more power to you. I'm excited for you. There are also missionaries in this room that are on oil rigs. There are missionaries in this room that are going to work from offices. There are missionaries in this room that are going to work within companies from the inside out. You have no idea what your God can do through your life if you will surrender he will work, but he doesn't have to use you. We're just clay. There's another part in Scripture that says he makes some vessels for honor and some for dishonor. And then he gives them the choice. Me personally, I don't care what he uses me for. I just want to be in his house. May you surrender a little bit more tonight. Heavenly Father, may we Deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow you. May we be a youth ministry of mission-minded people that are more concerned with your kingdom than we are our benefit. Lord, forgive us when we try to manipulate you into what we want. May our prayers begin to change into prayers of surrender. Lord, that we surrender the problems in our lives. Give us new vision that we start seeing issues and problems and struggles and pain as you're being at work in us. May we be willing clay. May our hearts be soft towards you so that you can mold us without having to break us down or remake us over and over again. And I pray that we'll find peace in knowing that you care. Holy Spirit, come fill your people. In Jesus' holy, precious name, amen. Love you guys. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.